I have a friend, let's call him Hank. Hank believes in Jesus, but he hates the church. In fact, he tries to stay as far away from organized Christianity as he can. My hunch is you have a friend or family member like my buddy Hank. Um, When you ask Hank why he believes in Jesus but doesn't want anything to do with the church, he, he tells a story that unfortunately is all too common. Talks about how he got involved in the church once and someone he met there ended up talking him into an investment scheme and he lost most of his life savings because of someone he met in church. And so he thinks of church and he thinks of hypocrites and people who might look good on the outside and y'all look great. But on the inside, they are up to no good or they're just way more broken than they would ever admit. Said so you've probably had conversations like this. You nod your head if you have. You know, you, we all probably we've all got a Hank in our life, <laughs> a friend, a family member, just a, a coworker, someone. When you, you, you where you know you talk about Jesus, and they're like, well, "Okay, I'm willing to talk about Jesus." You talk about church, you're like, eh, 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 eh. "No," because they've seen it. They've seen it too. You've probably seen it as well, and, and yet, thankfully, you're still here. But hypocrisy is one of the greatest problems in the church today. One of the greatest challenges to genuine evangelism and outreach. And the stories are far, far too common. I mean, you turn on the, the, the news, you pull up a news feed. It seems just about every week there's a story of something happening. Here's a, a megachurch pastor and they've, now they, and they've had an affair. Ugh. Or even in locally, you know, like as we look at the, the history of this valley over the last few decades. When I first came here, gosh, uh, almost 20 years ago to be part of what ultimately became Columbia Grove, the stories I, started, I was hearing at that point were, were many people who were very disillusioned with church because of, of, a, of a church that had actually this big financial Crisis and blow up and, and a whole bunch of people got swindled out of a whole bunch of money. Still hearing the stories of, of people who were affected by, unfortunately, a sex ring that was here in Wenatchee that was, at least in part, in a church. There are, there are wounds. There are wounds from hypocrisy. Now, it, it does at times feel a little bit unfair, you know, how much the, how the, the media kind of jumps on, you know, when, when, there's a, when there's a problem and they happen to be a Bible study leader or something like that. And then they'll, they'll, that'll be like the, you know, Bible study leader gets charged with something or other. And, you know, when they don't necessarily say that about, you know, a member of the golf club gets charged with a DUI, you know. Like, they, it doesn't seem to matter for other categories, but if you're part of a church, it kind of does. It's like the media is holding us to a higher standard. And in one sense, that might feel a little bit unfair. In another sense, it kind of is. Because, you know, we're, we're part of this movement that says we're, we're here to serve 
And Jesus calls us a people who are set apart, a city on a hill. And so when things are good, incredible things can happen in and through the local church. The local church is God's plan A for impacting the world. And when things go bad, it can be really bad. It can be really bad. So we're, we're starting a series, a six-week series, and I realize I'm starting off in a little bit of a bummer note, a little down. you like, this is, where's this guy going? I'm not sure about this. Want to take an honest look for six weeks at some of the things that often go wrong in the local church and then look at what the Bible says about how to make those wrong things right and talk together, dream together about the potential of the local church. Because when things go wrong, like perhaps that's my microphone right here going a little wrong. That's not, that's not anybody's fault. I think it's my body pack here. Anyways, um, when things go wrong, they, they can go very, very wrong. But when, when we get it right, when we get it right, lives get changed. God's kingdom advances. So if you've ever found yourself frustrated with the hypocrisy of quote-unquote religious people, or you're talking to a friend who is upset, disillusioned with the hypocrisy of quote-unquote religious people, it's good to know as a starting point that you're in good company. Because if there's one thing that Jesus really got upset about, it is... When there's hypocrisy among religious people. So let's start uh, with, with a little, ty- Jesus' little tirade. I mean, Jesus really, he goes off like for a chapter in the book, uh, in the book of Matthew. And um, let's look at one of some couple of the illustrations that Jesus uses so, to help us understand what hypocrisy is like, and why it ends up being such a bad thing. So Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, Jesus says, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You, what's the word? Hypocrites. Okay. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Let's take a look at those illustrations. Of the two illustrations, there's one that you're probably comfortable with me using this morning. The other one, you're gonna, you, would, you would really hate it if we tried to do this. So let's look at one of them. Let's go to my illustration table. Walk with me. Walk with me, Malcolm. Come on. Let's go. All right. Here we go. Illustration table. If I was to serve you some pasta from this bowl, would you? Actually, let's do a little close-up. Can you, can you bring it in? Bring it on in. If I was to serve you pasta from this bowl, who here thinks that sounds like a great idea? Pasta? Yeah? How about now? <laughs> this, is, this is my oatmeal, oatmeal bowl from a couple, couple days ago. I have oatmeal almost every morning. 
And usually I do the dishes. Not this week. (laughs) On the outside, it looks clean. It looks pasta worthy. But on the inside, it's gross. It's got Klingon oatmeal. Just disgusting stuff. That's that's hypocrisy. On the outside, it looks good. But if you take a closer look on the inside, it's a mess. The problem isn't so much that it's a mess. The problem is that the focus is on the outer appearance and not on actually cleaning up the mess. If this dish was sat on our kitchen table for very long, Anita would have strong words with me. Because she cares not just about the outside of the dish, but what's inside. Jesus is the same way. And as funny as it is, like you think, okay, just because somebody comes to church, I mean, there there are some, I mean, there are some cultural expectations of people who go to church. You know, there's sort of the expectation that maybe you are trying to live by a bit of a higher standard. Though the truth is, Coming to church, attending a church on its own doesn't make you a Christian any more than just, you know, attending a McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Like, there's actually a transformation process that needs to happen. Sometimes I've wished, like, you know what, when you go to the airport and you have to go through that little, the little scanner thing, the little, you know, where it beeps for, for the metal detector, or have you ever had to go through the one where you do this, stand there and it goes around you, and you're, and you're like, I wonder what they are seeing on that screen. <laughs> you know? oh. But at least, at least, and, and, and I'm sure we could argue about how effective all of those things are. At least the idea of it is, it is that if someone is bringing in things that they shouldn't be bringing in, hopefully that will be discovered so that when you are flying on an airplane, you, you're, you may be more worried about the airplane than, than the passenger sitting next to you. Now, I don't, I don't know that we can install any scanners on the doors of the church. But if we were to, the truth is, every, no, one would, no one would make it through. If you were to do a scan of our, of our hearts, of our souls, all of us, all of us, all of us are a mess. So as we take a look at hypocrisy, even as we wag our fingers at it, especially the extreme versions of it, and the media wags its finger at the extreme version of it, and Jesus wags his finger at hypocrisy, and thankfully he doesn't just wag his finger. We're going we're gonna to look at what else he says about this. We also need to take a bit of a compassionate look at, at hypocrisy and recognize that on some level it's inside all of us. It may not be in full bloom for all of us, but it's, it's there on some level inside of, of all of us. I want to take a look this morning a bit at how hypocrisy ends up getting linked to the sense of false identity. You know, the thing that drives hypocrisy is, is actually a misunderstanding of the gospel. This fundamental idea of where our status with God comes from because there's a reason why we want to clean the outside and make everything on the outside look good 
Sometimes it's because we're trying to hide what's on the inside, and we just don't know what to do with it. So I'm so grateful that even as Jesus is, is ap- as upset with hypocrisy as your friend Hank and my friend Hank, he doesn't just leave us there. He actually tells us what to do with it. So let's take a look at uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Now, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, that's plenty of people, I suppose, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, in case you're not aware of this, Pharisees were considered kind of very religious people, people who really, really had their lives together, while tax collectors were despised. Does anybody here like the IRS? And tax collectors back in Israelite times, though I'm sure you really could tell me all sorts of horror stories about the IRS, um, it, was a, it was a pretty lawless profession. Their job was to extract the, the required taxes and then live on what they extracted in addition to the required taxes. So tax collectors were a real mess. Okay, Pharisee, tax collector. The, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed. Oh, what a prayer he prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Here's the thing that's going on for the Pharisee. Is he's feeling a lot of pressure to perform. The Pharisee is believing a false gospel. This is the, the false gospel that is at the core of our human condition. It's at the core of every human philosophy. It's the core of every religion other than Christianity which is why it's such a common idea. The idea is this. Your value is determined by your performance. If you want God to love you, then you need to get your stuff together. Now, the rules of the different religious systems and the philosophical systems vary. But the point is, it's up to you. If God's going to love you, you got, you, got to get, you, you got to get your poop in the group. You got to get it figured out, man. So get it figured out. We'll give you some good advice to help you figure it out. We'll give you some rituals to help you figure it out. We'll build some temples to help you get it figured out, but you need to get it figured out. It is up to you. And so the Pharisee spirit and you have felt this, I have felt this, has a strong desire to, to make themselves look good because you want to be accepted. You want to be loved. You want to measure up. That's why we fake it until we make it. Now here, I, I'm, not, I'm not 
bad-mouthing the idea of giving yourself a little bit of self-confidence in a difficult situation. But the problem with fake it till you make it, faith, is that eventually we start to believe our own hype. And we are unable because we are unwilling, because we are terrified. We're unable to acknowledge our shortcomings, our weaknesses, our fears. So this Pharisee really believed that about himself. I'm really not like other people. I have lived better. Look look at my checklist, Lord. Look at my to-do list. Are you impressed? I got them all. I got them all done. You should be very impressed with me, Lord. I am a really, really, really good person. Funny thing is about when we believe our own height. Um, I'm sure you've seen it. I mean, where I've seen it probably the most clearly uh, is in my background as a musician. Um, But so this will probably apply in, in whatever field you have some experience in. When I meet somebody who is a musician, if, if, if their first words to me are about how wonderful they are, how impressive they are, what a fantastic singer or guitar player or keyboard player or drummer they are, invariably, when I actually hear them play or sing, they're actually not very good. Do you remember that? Uh, I realize it's still on television. It's come on and off. American Idol? Okay. Now, they, I don't think they do this much anymore in the show. They used to do this. I'm kind of glad they stopped because it's really very belittling. But they would do those things where they'd show the, the really horrifically bad auditions. Do you remember that? Remember that show? And the thing that was just consistent about the horrifically bad auditions is the person in the audition has no idea. They have puffed themselves up. Now, you, you can apply that to whatever field you're an expert in. But the, that, that sense of like, the, the more somebody is puffing themselves up, the less they are actually good at what they're puffing themselves up about. Now, I've met loads of musicians. Actually, all the musicians on the team here, they would come, and they, they, but the tone is different. It's like, you know, I, I play bass, and I'd love to help. Now, that's the person you want to talk to. Yeah, I, 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 I'm a singer. I'm a singer, but, um, you know, I, I just want to serve. Oh, God can use people like that. But the Pharisee spirit, the Pharisee spirit, look how good I am. Look how amazing I am. The problem with it is eventually we start to believe our own press. We do it because of insecurity. We we hype ourselves up because of insecurity, but eventually we begin to believe our own press, believe our own hype, and we're blind to what's really going on. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. So the Pharisee's in there. He's praying his big prayer. But, verse 13, let's take a look. Keep reading. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be, what's the word? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we misunderstand the gospel, we feel a tremendous pressure in our souls to fake it until we make it. I've got this together. I can do this. I can do this alone. When we understand the gospel, we know that none of us can do it alone. And so we reach out and we ask first, we ask God for help. And oftentimes we end up asking the community around us for help. Let me show you another illustration. Let's go, let's go to the illustration table. Come on and walk with me, Malcolm. Okay. There we are. Look at that. Now, we, so we've got two plants here. Which one of the two would you rather have as a centerpiece on your table? <laughs> this one? Yeah. Or this one? Yeah. Mm, this one? Yeah. Or this one? Now, there is, I agree. I mean, th this one looks really nice, right? It looks really, really good. This one, eh, it's a little bit pathetic. Doesn't look so great. But there's a key difference between these two, and you've probably already figured out what that key difference is, right? This one is fake. <laughs> this is a plastic plant. You can put it in a dark room for a long time. You could put it in the fridge for a long time. You could, you could completely forget it and forsake it, just like I probably would, for a long time, pull it out, and it'll, be, it'll look good as a centerpiece. This plant is different. Why? Because it's real. It's real. It's real. And so it, it, it's lost a few leaves recently. But it's real. This plant doesn't need any water. This plant doesn't need any light. This plant doesn't need any nutrition. This plant doesn't need anything from anyone. Why? Because it's fake. But this plant, it needs water. It needs light. I shouldn't leave it inside the worship center where there's no windows for very long. I'm going to take it home and hopefully improve things. <laughs> it needs nutrition from the soil. It needs things. Often... But this one looks better, doesn't it? We can feel a lot of pressure to look good because it's just so hard to admit that we need things. We need God. 
We need people. This one, it's, it's just independently impressive. And this one, first glance, it's actually kind of disappointing. A little pathetic. But it's real. Be real. Be real. First John puts it like this. This is a familiar passage. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Like we really, really don't know. We're clueless. And unfortunately, the result of us being clueless about our own condition is that the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We are more like this plant than we like to admit. (laughs) This one's got leaves that fell off. Actually, I ended up pruning it a little bit. We've got a cat in our house. The cat, not necessarily kind to plants. There's spiritual warfare from a plant perspective in our house going on. And, and yes, I have cast the cat in the, in the Satan role. That's perhaps appropriate. you got to meet him. But it's real. It's lost some leaves. And for it to get better, it needs things. It needs water. It needs sunlight. It needs nutrients. Find a safe place to be honest, to be real. Find a safe place. The first and safest place is, of course, with God himself. Because we, our misunderstanding of the gospel is you got to get you together. You got to get your greed figured out. You got to get your lust figured out. You got to get your loneliness figured out. You got to get your lying figured out. Get yourself together. And then come to the Lord. That's the false gospel. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We bring our stuff to the Lord. We bring our wilted leaves to the Lord. We bring our dried out condition to the Lord. Lord, I need your living water. I I need you. Getting real with God is, is the first step to getting real. God is the safest place, the very safest place to be real. And I hope, I hope you do. I hope you pray. Like, you know, we talked about last week how you don't need to have these these filtered prayers. Like the Pharisee in this story, he's praying really, really filtered prayers where you only talk to God about the good stuff. You only talk to God about your achievements. You don't talk to God about your need. God has a better plan for your sex life than you do. 
He's got a better plan for your finances than you do. You can talk to him about it. He invented it. He invented you. And he loves you so much that rather than you be distant from him, he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross to atone for all human sin. The safest place to start is to start with Jesus. Lord, I need you. I need you. Jesus, I'm not going to play games with you anymore. I'm not going to try to hide from you anymore. I'm going to get real with you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to make me a brand new person. That's where we start. And then from there, we find some other people. A safe circle of some sort. Where you can be real with a few people around you. That is the reason why we have connection groups in the church. Smaller groups of people where we have the ability to get real. Now that doesn't mean that in the very first week you're going to be asked to share your deepest, darkest secrets. That's not how it works. But there is an opportunity in those settings just to get to know people. To hear one another's stories. And you will discover over time a few places, a few people that you can be real with. A few safe places to share. And now, there, you, some of us, right now, you have some people in mind. You're like, oh yeah, I'm so grateful for Ted. Yeah, I'm so grateful for, I'm, I'm so, for Brian. I'm so grateful for these people. I'm so grateful that there are people that I can be real with. And this would be a great time for you to, just to thank God. God, thank you. You bring in a, brought a few people into my circles where I can get real, where I can be real. But maybe for some, the, your step, like the boldest spiritual decision you could make today would be to say, I am not going to try to power through this on my own anymore. I'm, I'm tired of this. I know this is fake. It's not as impressive, but Lord, I, I just want to be real. I want to actually grow. This one will never grow. I want to actually grow in my faith. And then See what the Lord opens up. Maybe that means you'll join a connection group today. Or if you really can't handle that, you'll, you'll find somebody. Like you go out to coffee with somebody. You'll just talk to somebody. You get real somewhere. The reason why 12-step groups work all the ones that work, they start with acknowledging our need before God and then finding a safe place where people can share. We're all in recovery. I, I am so grateful that this is a church where we have so many people who are actually, like, I mean, from, 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 from I mean, like 12-step group level recovery. It's one of the secret sauce items of Columbia Grove is we are a church that we have been able to be real with each other and that doesn't mean that we share our deepest darkest secrets every Sunday we're not going to have a have a you know a public confession booth we're not going to do that but but what we can do is we can build a culture here that says it's okay to not be okay and that we will be safe places for one another and you can find that small group somewhere where you can say, hey, I, I'm not okay. I, I, 
I'm really dry today and I need some water. I'm not okay. I haven't been in the sunlight enough. Some of you, that's exactly what, your, what our problem is this time of year. I haven't been in the sunlight enough and I feel like I am wilting. Would you pray for me? We can be a safe place to be real. Lord, I need you. Lord, we need you. And, and then here's, here's the prayer that I hope will be this prayer that kind of guides us for the next six weeks. Lord, help us be a local church worth believing in. That doesn't mean that we're going to be rid of, of hypocrisy, but it does mean that we're going to prioritize a culture of real over a culture of fake. And that we're, we can be a place where we say it's okay to not be okay. Where we recognize that Jesus is the answer, not just another coat of paint. That you don't have to hide. And that it's okay to need things. It's okay. Lord, help us be a local church worth believing in.